three of the most rewarding and harrowing years of my life. <laughs> Uncovering some of the most amazing stories from some of the most talented innovators and creatives in marketing tech and digital. This is the Wonderful People Podcast. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Wonderful People Podcast with Phil Batman Jones and Dan Robin Mordub. And obviously, <laughs> another special guest today who I'll let Phil introduce later. But it's a Monday, it's the, 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 the sun is out, and it's a bright day for once. So tell us how you're feeling, Mr. Jones. How's your weekend been? Uh, weekend's been lovely. Watching England, like, actually winning their second match on the trot. So yeah, true. That's quite good. One more to come on Wednesday, and we'll know. Um, but also, I, as you, you probably know, I live in the middle of a golf course, uh, Sundry's Park Golf Course, and it's been deadly quiet now for months. And today, with the new lockdown rules, it's suddenly all changed. Right. And, Walking in and out today, there's golfers everywhere, which is like, so it's just brought the whole place back to life. So the sun shines out, the golfers are out there. So that's really lovely. And one funny little thing during the week. I know we sometimes joke about the Ocado delivery guys <laughs> and the job they do, but there's um, my little granddaughter, Kimberly's been with us. She's three years old and we'd order a pair of shoes from Clark's that were being delivered. And the driver that delivered them had a big bushy beard. She went to the door and picked them up, put the shoes on, loved them. The following day, she also went to the door and we got her a swimming costume, which she put on immediately and wore all day. But the same delivery driver had brought it. And it's a guy with a beard, a little guy with a beard. <laughs> so the next thing we hear is that is. Claire said she's gone home and all she can talk about is the man with a beard who just brings presents. <laughs> <laughs> Every time the door rings now or there's a knock or the phone rings, it's the man with a beard. It's the man with a beard. It's just hilarious. So, so is it always Christmas at yours then? You always get the man with the beard? Always Christmas. He didn't have a red coat on, but as far <laughs> as she's concerned, that's a swimming costume, pair of trainers. She's wondering what's next. Yeah, um, that's right. Just don't do um, that when she's 16 and she wants the car. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think she'll just take it. She's cheeky. <laughs> um, and I, I want to introduce my next guest, who I, I've known definitely for over 20 years, probably 25 years. But with over 30 years' experience in the retail and design industry, today's guest is a champion of retail ailment, which I'll get him to explain to you later. With a client list that's a who's who of culture and the arts, including the likes of MoMA, Tate Modern and the VNA and more, we'll find out how he became a household name in the sector and what he predicts will ensure a successful return of one of the hardest hit sectors during the pandemic. So today I'm delighted to welcome Mr. Callum Lumsden to the Wonderful People podcast. Welcome, Callum. Hi, Dan. Nice to see you. Yeah, great to have you on the podcast. And, and Callum, we're going to start with the uh, the first question we ask all of, our, all of our guests, and it's a deep and meaningful one. But if you were to be stuck in the lift with someone, who would it be and why? Uh, I've thought about this one, and it would have to be Billy Connolly. He's my favourite uh, all-time comedian. I used to uh, go and see, without even knowing really who he was, 
Billy Connolly and um, when he was in the Humble Bumps with Jerry Rafferty in Edinburgh in folk clubs. And he used to do the banter in between while Jerry Rafferty was tuning up and stuff. So wow. I followed him all the, all the way through. I love him. It's uh, tragic about the Parkinson's, but the stories that that guy's got to um, uh, tell. Um, I'd love to know how he gets on with that wife of his. <laughs> Being married to a psychologist, bloody hell. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but he just like he's he's a scream. He's got done his ups and downs, but like just um, the jokes, you know, the famous ones, the spacesuit ones, um, it's all all of that kind of thing. So I I would love to uh, meet him one day, um, in some stage in a lift would be entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> great answer, great answer. Callum, are you sure? I mean, that's a great answer, and I 100% get it. But you sure it's not Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, one of my favourite people. <laughs> yes. I've heard, he, I've heard he's on your hit list, rather. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did actually meet him once, not in a lift. And uh, we did a shop, uh, a showroom. It was a, a carpet and flooring showroom in Richmond and it was a big posh shop and he uh, was invited to come and open open it um, to, to gather like the PR. So there he is, my absolute, oh, keep away from me. <laughs> Actually, when I caught him outside having a fag, <laughs> a long chat, and he was actually quite a nice guy. Oh, there we oh, go. So it's got a happy ending, Dave. Yeah, it's got a happy ending, yeah. Right, there we go. Now, we slipped that one in to try and rattle you. Somebody's done worked. a bit of research on that. I've got a photograph of me next to him, making a very me. rude face behind him. I'll, uh, I'll try and find it. <laughs> That's brilliant. Now, Callum, you studied furniture design before enrolling at the Royal College of Arts which I see was voted globally the leading university for art design for the last seven years. That's quite, quite some record. Um, what inspired the route that you took? Um, well, I went to art college, did the usual route of uh, lots of the guys that you guys all know, um, tried lots of things, did furniture design, and then I got more and more in, um, interested in interiors. And... Um, so I, um, I did actually apply to furni the furniture department, didn't get in, which really pissed me off. So I walked upstairs to uh, the top floor of the RCA uh, and said, could you look at my portfolio? That's where the um, interior architecture it was called at the time. And I got in and I had um, three of the most rewarding and harrowing years of my life. <laughs> because the, the, the whole department was taken over by a bunch of architects um, from the, the, the AA, which isn't Alcoholics Anonymous, it's the Ar Architectural Association. And all of a sudden they tried to, they turned it into an architecture course. So I was wanting to do interiors. And so that, that was the harrowing bit, but in the end, it was a fantastic experience surrounded by the most amazing talent people you've all heard of, uh, Gary Cook's one of them. Um, I was in the same year as the Emmanuels before the uh, Got Princess um, Dye's wow. uh, wedding dress to do, wow. Dyson's, there's a whole who's who of people there. 
and it was it, it was great and i mean basically the the reason that i'm doing this now which is designing shops um was i knew most of the fashion department because uh, all the best looking women were there. Uh, <laughs> am I allowed to say that? I don't know. Anyway, they all, they yes. all, went, they all went off and uh, worked for retailers. Then I'm talking jigsaw, kickers, whistles, um, Jaeger, etc., uh, etc. Et and their bosses started saying, you got any mates like to design a shop? Um, we're thinking of doing one. And that's how it started. Oh, brilliant. Now, you mentioned Gary Cook, and a lot of the people listening might not know him, but he is another design legend, isn't he? Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And he's yeah. done a fantastic book during lockdown. So yeah. if you go onto Amazon, anybody that doesn't know Gary, and just search for his book, it's worth getting because it's just sensational. It's terrific, isn't it? But also, I heard you were a pretty good swimmer <laughs> in Scotland before you came down and started all this design stuff what's uh, with the swimming geek <laughs> well um my grandpa uh in edinburgh was probably one of the most influential people in my life and um he taught me to swim at the age of nine it took me uh, a long time to to get there and in warrender bass in edinburgh um this guy came up to him and said is that your grandson? Because he's got a natural breaststroke, which for racing. And grandpa said, so off, off it started. And we, um, I did what was called a drain pipe stroke. <laughs> so it was like swimming through a drain pipe. Um, and I went off, became Scottish champion, swam for Scotland, had an amazing time, traveled to lots of different foreign places. Um, but I had to give up because it was a choice of getting the qualifications to go to college um, or keep on going swimming. And then this guy called David Wilkie uh, beat me because uh, he was always after me. I don't know if Dan will remember David Wilkie, but he became Olympic gold uh, yeah. in the Olympics. He was in the same uh, club as me. So I gave up. Uh -huh. uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. So, uh, Phil always thinks that I'm a, the least sporting type in the world, but <laughs> got to know I, that. I still think you've got the physique, natural swimmer. <laughs> yeah, natural. <laughs> and also, they, they actually shave their hair, don't they? So you'd be pretty well in there, mate. Well, that was the thing. I used to have hair then, which had grew long, so everybody was telling me off. <laughs> so you, you wore those silly balloon things yeah. on your head. Cat Callum, it took about it took about ten minutes before Phil mentioned the hair. Yeah, um, <laughs> not bad, is it? Yeah, I'm glad to see he's updated his wig. I can see him here. He's <laughs> got a lovely toupee. Yeah. Uh, now, one of your earliest careers was at Fitch, and what was it like to work for the legendary Rodney Fitch back then? Uh, it was incredible. I'd, uh, when I left college, I was basically working on my own. Uh, I did, you know, uh, the, the typical trying to start things. I, I did, you know, lots of lots of interesting jobs. And then during one of the recession, I managed to get a job with Jaeger. Uh, so that gave me a portfolio. And then I knew about Fitch. So I thought, right, I'll give it a try. So I walked into the most amazing organization 
Rodney Fitch invented retail design and he had a massive um, a bunch of talent in there. And uh, every retailer, um, this was in the, let's go and get this right, the 80s, the, the early 80s. They used to have every retailer you'd ever thought of from Boots to Marks and Spencers walk in the door. The new business list that was issued every morning of who we had on was like a who's who of the high street. Wow. And what was great about Rodney was that he was interested in retail for what he called real people. He wasn't really interested in the luxury goods market, that kind of thing. He wanted to work for uh, retailers like Boots and and then he, he, he went really international, became an absolute uh, legend. And um, I got to know him extremely well after I left Fitch and he actually became a bit of a mentor for me um, and guided me in lots of ways. He sadly passed away. How long ago was it, Phil? About is four it, years ago? Yeah, it's interesting, Callum, because I got an email yesterday from his daughter, Louisa. Louisa, yeah. Who Thanking me for putting that little clip up on Facebook that showed Rodney at the last pod, you know, before he died. And yeah. and he was talking, remember we, and we'd done a previous one that to celebrate the life of Linda Elf Knight at Design Week. Yeah. And Rodney and yourself and Dave Challoner and David Bernstein uh, all spoke on the microphone about Linda and said things, but... Louisa just wrote to me just to say how lovely it was to see her dad in full swing when he was well. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, in terms of a design company, it was like, you know, the Daily Planet in uh, Superman comics? <laughs> yeah. It was like working there. There was people on the tannoy, there were people flying around, um, watching some of the, you know, the, the, the builds up to the pitches. Um, I can't remember his name, Peter somebody. He designed the ASDA logo at half past eight on a Monday morning when ASDA were coming to see their new brand identity at, <laughs> at half past nine. He just got some felt tip pens out and, and you can still see the ASDA logo in, in what I remember. He, he threw down in about you know, 30 minutes. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> it's all, all of that, those kind of memories. And there were some, you know, great people. I mean, uh, Phil O'No, Rooney Gustafsson, he joined in the same day yeah. as me, all of that, those kind of guys. That's yeah. um, amazing. And there, there's so many connections. I mean, Tim Greenhall, um, there's, there's kind of a whole load of names that have just kind of are uh, absolutely beholden to Rodney Fitch. So you were very much a retail brand specialist in the early years. And you even had a stint in TV working with the Queen of Shops, Mary Portas. Well, tell us a little bit about that collaboration. Well, I got put onto um, uh, this by a guy called Gregor Jackson, who uh, you may or may not know. He said he'd been approached by uh, the Mary Portas, uh, the people behind Mary Portas to see if he'd like to appear uh, help her with her Queen of Shops programmes and he said I, I can't be bothered doing this what, what about you Callum and I've never been backwards in coming forwards in terms of PR so I said oh all right then oh yes <laughs> <laughs> so I was introduced to the world of TV and um, which is crazy and 
Um, basically, the format, for those who've not seen it, is it's Mary Porter's as Queenie's Shops, talking about walking into a really crap shop and saying, this is crap. <laughs> um, this, this is what um, I think you should do. And there was a whole kind of series of programmes building up to it. And then the whole thing, along with the design, is unveiled in the, the, unveiled in the, the final programme. Um, I was involved in about five or six of them uh, in the background. We got acknowledged maybe a couple of times. And on uh, the famous one, which was the Baker one, uh, we did a whole load of work for it. And then Mary Porters and the Baker lady fell out and they ended up not doing the shop in the end. But um, I started being recognised in the street. <laughs> oh, wow. I saw you on the telly. <laughs> uh, Callum, do you remember my wife was one of your helpers? That's right, actually. Yes, of course. Babs was great because um, <laughs> the two hippies in Kingston who ran a totally shit furniture shop. That's it. Um, yeah. Babs loves interior design. And when you asked if uh, you needed some help, yeah. And she just put her hand up straight away and said, count me in. And she loved it. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's what was, was good about it. I'm good at gathering people because uh, I'm a bit like you, Phil, uh, because we had to get loads of people to do stuff for nothing, like the shop fitters. Yeah. Uh, I got Birmingham Mark College because I knew one of the lecturers to give a project and they, they were in the printing department, so they were printing all these textiles and everything for, for that particular shop that Babs helped with. Yeah. Um, and the inquiries I got, were weird and wonderful, but it was the best bit of news, new business getting that I've I'd done for ages. It was fantastic. I actually got loads of work out of it. So it was Brilliant. good. And Mary Portis, um, bless her, she's a, she's a star. She's a, I've got nothing but respect for Mary. She's great. Uh, absolutely straightforward, uh, straight to it. F's and blinds like the rest of us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and just get some with stuff. Fast forward in a bit, Callum, to sort of, I think roughly or exactly around 10 years ago now, you set up Lumsden. Yeah. And obviously that's a, you know, a huge move in terms of your career and, and your life. So what were some of the, the drivers for that? You know, what, what, what brought you to that stage in your life? And then obviously you can't pray see 10 years in a few minutes, but what are some of the standout moments that have really shaped the business and the direction? I mean, I'd actually done, uh, run a business before that one, and then I had a kind of two-year gap with somebody else. So I'd kind of gone up and down business-wise in lots of ways based around the recession and personal stuff that happened. So when I started this version uh, 10 years ago, there was it just seemed the right moment to really start this again, uh, bearing in mind previous mistakes that I've made business-wise and in my career. And one of them was not to have uh, uh, not to have a business head, um, somebody who could look after the nitty gritty of running a business and me trying to do absolutely everything. Because there were so many, there's so many balls that you have to throw in there and you can't be everything. So I joined forces with a guy called Simon Clark uh his uh, background is in shop fitting so there was a kind of pair i'd known him for a long time and we know and trust each other we argue like hell um all the time but it's that kind of relationship where you have an argument and then you go to the pub and sort it 
and forget about the, the next day. So so that 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 was a, a big moment. And I also brought the, uh, the there's, there were certain people that were in teams that I was in previously that I brought in who I knew I could build up into what I wanted to do. And then I guess the big deal for me to really get it kickstarted was getting a call from Warner Brothers. They'd seen uh, one of the projects that I'd done in the British Museum, which is the library room. Um, and uh, it's, it's called the Grenville Room. It's the first one on the right-hand side as you walk in. It's, it's where they sell all their luxury items, as opposed to the postcards and the other stuff. That's somewhere else. Um, and they'd seen that because they were going to do a thing called the Warner Brothers Studio Tour for about the making of Harry Potter. And it was based around all the films. Uh, the legend that is now Harry Potter. Um, and they wanted, um, they'd heard about it, they asked who'd done it. My client at British Museum said, well, you need to speak to Callum Lumsden, which was fantastic. So that was like the best springboard for a new uh, version of what I do to, to kick it off because that got me into the film world. Um, so we did the retail for that, which was a very big shop. I mean, 10,000 square feet, which um, now turns over more, makes uh, more profit than an Apple store. Wow. Which is kind of shows wow. <laughs> how, how successful it is. And then, um, and that took us all, all of a sudden, we became international as well. So I was going to Burbank Studios, um, meeting the, um, the presidents there. We did a big shop in, uh, in Burbank Studios into the Warner Brothers studio tour. And um, well, Clint Eastwood walked into the opening. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a photograph of that somewhere. <laughs> Fantastic. So that, that was a massive big deal. Um, my life has kind of gone from project, big project hits to uh, the next one, because the reason that I do what I do now was winning Tate Modern. Uh, when that opened in 1998, but um, and that got me into a world that I didn't uh, know, and that that eventually got me the British Museum job, which eventually got us the Warner Brothers project as well. We get very much uh, judged on the uh, income uh, generation as well as the aesthetic um, success of everything that we do. Um, the, I mean, the, we have to uh, encourage the retailers within the museums uh, in particular um, and all the other uh, visitor uh, destinations that we do, which includes you know, people like Abbey Road, uh, that uh, they, they have to follow their brand. We follow that as, and the brand could be about the architecture, the brand could be about the spirit of the place. Um, if you take MoMA, for instance, when people say, ask me, what, what, what do I do? And I say, I design shops for museums. They say, oh, so you do gift shops. And I will say they're way more than gift shops. Um, uh, to give you an example of the how important this is, uh, if you take MoMA, who we worked with um, for five years and did lots of projects with them, uh, not just in New York, their retail turnover is $54 million in, in 2019. Um, it's an astonishing 
amount of money. Um, Tate, uh, the Tates, they're um, 11 million pounds. British Museum is something like 17 million. Uh, and every single uh, penny of that goes towards the curators or to the education part of what the museums do. And it's a real privilege working with these guys because, um, you know, the, uh, and that's what I love about it because I've always designed shops, but high street shops are about cookie cutter, as the Americans call it. You do one design and it gets repeated again and again. With the museums, you're actually working um, according to uh, their, their different brands. So every project is different, which is great for me and it's great for the teams. And that's why it's a really important niche that we're in, uh, which seems to be spreading all over the world. You know, we're working in Hong Kong, we're working, doing a Viking museum in Norway. There's, well, actually there's some museums I can't tell you about because it's still under wraps. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's been a really great area to work with and small to, to big museums. So um, local community ones through to big city ones. And obviously with the pandemic, it's even more important to generate income. So the retail part and the uh, catering part, which we also do, the restaurants and cafes, is a very important part of um, what we do with them. Are you enjoying our podcast? Remember to subscribe, share and leave us a review. That's one of the things that, look, looking at your career, there's a lot of your clients have been with you for 10 years or more. So once, once you snare them in the Callum Lonsden web, they never leave you, do they? Don't put it like that. It sounds like a... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, um, I mean, Warner Brothers, I mean, we're doing a massive, a mega project with them right now. We're doing Warner Brothers Studio Tour in uh, Tokyo uh, at the moment. Uh, so that goes back the 10 years. Um, British Museum goes back a bit longer, actually, 13 years. Wow. And, and yeah, it's nice. Uh, it is interesting, though, because we called them, <laughs> totally unimaginatively called the company Lumsden. Um, it's got my name at the front, and what I'm working with is my guys to kind of build them up so that they become, you know, everybody doesn't, doesn't say, um, we we Whereas Callum, we, I, I want to want to spread that, and that, that, I think that's a really important thing to think about um, uh, when you get to this stage in your in your career. That actually became an issue for Rodney Fitch, didn't it? Yes, it did. Yeah, because I I don't want to get phone calls on Sunday morning from a client to say that the toilet door handle in the staff room's fallen off. What are you going to do about it, Callum? Uh, you know, the, those days are over for me. Um, I, I like being, you know, I, I want to be uh, there to help everybody. But, um, you know, I, my team have now got that. You know, we're talking about the 10 years. We've now got a, a team of 10, you know, people who've got 10 years of experience doing exactly what we have become really well known for. They're great. Love them all. Uh, am I right in thinking that two of the, two of your co-directors both joined you as interns uh one of them did the other one she's since left but she's come back again on a freelance basis and in the wonderful world of zoom and teams she's based in mexico 
So she's working for us from Mexico, literally, uh, right by the sea. Um, so, uh, yeah, because uh, we, we've done that. There is um, actually, there's a whole load of people thinking about it. I hadn't thought about this. Yes, but we've got two people currently working with us, building up uh, to become senior uh, within the company who are also in town. Finding people from outside to come in who are at senior levels actually proved a bit tricky for us sometimes. Um, we've, we have found somebody, uh, he's just joined us, who's great from one of the big companies, checking Kindly Science. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, but building up people and taking interns on has is, is, is always been some, I've always done that with all the different yeah. variations of Lumsden. Uh, tell us a little bit more, the word, the word that's used a lot in correspondence is that re retailainment. <laughs> Can you tell us what that means for us uh, lately? Uh, I used it once in an article about a month ago and then I got a whole other shit back about what you're using it. <laughs> I've been trying to practice how to say it. It's, oh, yeah, tell us how you say it in re Scottish. Retailainment. Um, it's, it's crap. It's terrible. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> it's a kind of an Americanism that it's about making retail not just about going in and getting your frozen peas and walking out. It's actually doing something that actually involves people, which is becoming more and more uh, common and more and more wanted. Um, but the, the the entertainment part, you can say that about Harry, what we do for Harry Potter. That's absolutely no. It's called in world or out world of the Harry Potter movies, you know, where you can go buy a, a wand, um, and you'll have somebody to point it, and the drawers are open, and the books will fall off. The, you know, I mean, that that's what that's what we do now for them, other places. But it's about being immersive and actually giving people more of a reason to go into a into a shop or a store which enables the, the retailer to really kind of sell the products in a far, far better way, which is what is happening very much. Yeah. And as soon as the shops start to open again, um, there's going to be a lot more of that because those are the ones that will survive. The ones that haven't survived are the ones that have just ignored all of that and said, oh, we'll, we'll just carry on. It's, you know, it's, it's straightforward. Yeah, that's interesting, Callum, because that kind of segues into the next question, which was around how do you think or how successful do you think the, the sector has been in sort of using e-commerce and digital technologies and the immersive experiences that you mentioned? How do you think they've been helping to plug that gap when there's been very little football this year? And you well, know, do you think it's been shifted as well? Are you seeing a shift? Are you seeing any future trends? Well, I think, um, the, 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 how long have you got, Dan? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a very, very um, difficult one to predict about where this is going to go. Um, certainly in terms of, you know, the whole e-commerce, that's been the only way people have been able to shop for, um, for you know, in and out of a whole year. At the same time, it's actually... This is a really not a good way to describe it. <laughs> the whole pandemic thing has actually sorted out a lot of wheat from the chaff um, and accelerated it. You know, the amount of people that have sadly, and sadly from the point of view of the people that were working for them, 
has gone gone to the wayside. You know, we're talking about the, the top shops and the Debenhams and right. all of that because they were so they're a bit like that big tanker on the Suez Canal. <laughs> you know, they were just kind of nowhere to go. They were stuck, and the, the, no matter how many tugboats there were, they were never going to get out of it. And I actually think that's going to be uh, that. In a way, it's quite it's really healthy because there's a whole load of um, talent out there. Retail is going to keep on going, but there's a whole load of young bloods that are moving up, moving up to um, to start. And you know, all the big boys of the past used to be the little ones. I mean, if you take somewhere somebody like Jigsaw, which is really, really famous and you know, oh, a fantastic fashion brand, they started off. Um, the two guys started off by selling embroidered jeans on the Portobello Road um, and then became an, an international... Re well, that is happening now. And the pandemic, the choice of where to go to get your bread was the supermarket or the local baker around the corner. Well, all of a sudden, people were finding the local baker or the local butcher as a friendly face who remembered them and... It was actually enjoyable. It's actually enjoyable going in there, and I think that whole thing is just changing the whole face of, of where retail is going. Where people actually want to be acknowledged as being themselves, um, not just queuing outside two meters apart outside the co-op and going in, getting your stuff, and coming away again. Um, and that's really going to change. And then the other yeah. part of it is city centres. Um, right. and the big metropolises and the big shopping centres, what, what are going to happen to them? And I think neighbourhoods and communities are going to become more and more important. <clears throat> and that's where the, the good retailers are going to come through. Yeah, interesting, interesting, really good. Running a retail design company must have been interesting during the pandemic, where all the physical spaces are out of action. Um, how have you and your clients adapted over this past year? You've just mentioned previously one of your staff is working from Mexico. Yeah. I assume they could all be anywhere, could they? Yeah, they could. Another one's in France, in uh, north of France. Um, oh, God, very sad. We, we took on an intern from France. She came in on the day before we had to close down for lockdown. <laughs> she got herself a flat in London, uh, and she was stuck in London. She'd never been to London before. Oh, no. <laughs> and bless her heart. She eventually got back home. But um, yeah, so so we've had to uh, to adapt like everybody else. Um, running a design company remotely is not the best way of doing it, no matter, you know, how many Zoom calls you have. Um, you can't turn around and say, James, that's wrong. <laughs> Let's have a chat about it. Or he can't look at me and say, come on, Carl, come and talk to us. Um, it's, so it, it's difficult. What, what we've been doing when we're legally allowed to is uh, to come in, say, three days a week. Because uh, everybody's actually enjoying having Mondays and Fridays working from home. Yeah. Um, but that three days where you can really talk to people one-to-one -one whenever you want, rather than plugging it in onto a calendar, is... It's so, so helpful. And we've been really, really busy. We've taken people on. Um, it's uh, uh, because the sector that 
I'm working in, um, which is the cultural sector and the entertainment sector. They're very long-term projects. They're opening in 23, 24. So the clients are moving on uh, and, and investing in, and, and wanting what we do, uh, which is, you know, which has been really good. Actually, can I throw a question to you, Dan? We don't normally do this, but you, you're working in a completely digital world mm. and you've also been hiring people and you know you look at some companies have really really suffered but some companies like Callum's and and yours you're you just sail through it by the looks of it yeah I mean I think you know it's not without its challenges because our business same as Callum's is linked to our clients so if the client's struggling then then we're struggling by 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 definition but in terms of I think the pandemic has done two things to pick up on what Adam said in our digital world. One is clients had to become digital overnight in terms of their communication, their events, their their um, sales and marketing. You know, so we had to help them do that. So you know, we're all we all talk about Zoom as if it you know as much as we talk about Google nowadays. But a year ago, half the comp- half of our clients hadn't heard of Zoom. They weren't using online technology in this way so all of their sales and lead generation was face to face now all of a sudden it's all online so i think help we've helped a lot of clients get online in a much more efficient and effective way and the other side of it which i'm really you know glad canham said we picked up on that is that there are still businesses that want to look forward into the long term you know so we've got clients that are probably spending bigger budgets with us now than they ever have done because they're now planning for the future they're now saying, what does the future look like? How do we make sure we use technology properly? How do we make sure our business can operate anywhere globally? So we're building sort of software solutions and, and digital products that we weren't building a year ago or two years ago because clients weren't thinking that way. So I think that long-term thinking is really helpful as well. Um, but yes, yeah, not, not without its challenges, but we, you know, we have been... Yeah, we have been busy, that's for sure. Yeah, brilliant. Have you, have you got any advice, Callum, for the companies that were not doing so well? We've struggled a bit during this last nine months or so. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough one. I mean, you know, if you're running a company that specialises in restaurant design, <laughs> what the hell are you going to do? Um, you know, a lot of retail design. But, I mean, the retail design companies that I speak to, uh, design company, retail design companies, um, they're actually doing all right. So I think, you know, people, everybody kind of, it's a kind of, it's a human thing, isn't it? You, you know, it's, it's survival of the fittest and the, the ones that are kind of thinking positively and moving forward, just like Dan was saying, are the ones that are going to survive and thinking about, all right, what do, what is our space going to look like? Will people, what can we get? What can we do to get the um, customers in? Because the customer, I mean, think of it from the customer's point of view. They're desperate to go to the shops, you know? I mean, there's two, there's two types of shoppers. So, um, and we're all two types of shoppers. The ones, the shopping that you have to do, which is going to get your, um, your week supply of stuff for the, to shove in the freezer. And then there's the enjoyable bit. That's the bit that I'm involved in. Um, how do you make going to a museum, finishing off with a nice cup of coffee and buying something nice that you want for your home or for a friend or, da, 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 or the missus or whatever, that's the, that's the side. Or I'm a fan. 
So I want to go and see Harry Potter and I want to buy a costume that makes me look like Harry Potter as I'm walking around it. Uh, or I want um, Harry's wand. You're not going to forget that experience, but the actual buying of it is going to be interesting as well. So that that's where I get excited about what we do. You've uh, mentioned survival of the fittest there. And I was, what's going on in your your home country, Scotland, but survival of the fittest. What the hell's happening over there? <laughs> oh, God. Um, right. You, you um, also share your office with another Scotsman, don't you, with Jeff Nicholl? I do, I do. And um, actually, I don't think we've ever... No, Jeff and me have never really talked about that. In, in terms, but in terms, from my point of view, Nicholas Sturgeon has done a fantastic job getting her nation through the pandemic. But the ins and outs and the goings on between her and Alexander are just how the, where that's going to go. And there's a wonderful uh, uh, Glaswegian comedian called Jane Godley. Um, and she does, um, Nick, when Nicola Sturgeon goes up on, the, on her podium and starts talking, she does an overview. <laughs> and she she's very funny and she did an over, overview of Alex Salmon um, uh, starting up this new party which is called Alva which yeah. is the, the Gaelic the Gaelic for Scotland uh, the name Scotland and it's a, it's a voiceover and Nicholas Sturgeon said well I'm really glad Alex Salmon joined, joined ABBA I've always enjoyed their <laughs> music <laughs> <laughs> and it just seemed, I don't know how that's going to affect, um, I didn't, I wouldn't, I'm not allowed to vote for, um, in a referendum for Scotland because I live in in England, which really bugs me, but oh, I, interesting. I, I, I wouldn't have voted for independence for Scotland um, the last time. Um, no. But, um, you know, let's see what happens. Yeah, life's a bit short really, isn't it, for all that? <laughs> bickering in these different countries it's uh... yeah i know and whilst we're talking about whilst we're talking about scotland it's important to note you say loch not lock absolutely as as yeah. callum taught me before the recording started there we go <laughs> <laughs> i'm loving the insight into retail and into design but taking a sort of step back and look at the, the industry and where we're at at the moment as a design community and a design industry obviously it's hugely challenging for those that are looking to come into the industry for graduates and those graduating or those trying to break into the industry. And I know that you, alongside some big hitters from the creative world, have just launched a brand new initiative called the Design Community Hub, which is aimed at supporting all the uh, yeah incredible design talent that have had their careers stalled or not even started because of COVID. Um, and yeah, and just personally as an agency, we've been a huge pleasure of supporting with you guys at this early stage. But tell us a little bit about the Design Community Hub and for those listening, how could they get involved? Um, okay, um, it was a question I put to two guys on a, a DBA webinar. One's called Jonathan Sands of Elmwood, but now he's called, I uh, can't remember his new name. Ugly, something ugly. <laughs> yeah. Born uh, ugly. <laughs> and um, Tim Greenhoch from uh, um, Landor and Fitch. Uh, to say, because there was a Q&A at the end, and I put a question into Deborah Dotton and DBA, what, are, what is the design community to help those guys who have been affected by the pandemic, especially the graduates and people who've been made redundant or on furlough, because they're our future. 
surely there's something that we can do. And it snowballed into this incredible um, community thing uh, with so many people um, putting their hands up saying, we're going to help. Uh, that includes Phil and his daughter Claire, uh, Red Setter, there's a whole, um, you guys, <laughs> Dan, um, uh, Guild, I'm going to forget, forget them all, um, Read Words, etc, uh, etc. Et and um, the idea is to offer help, to say, open our arms and say, come and join us. Uh, you guys, we'd like to help. We can't offer you jobs, but maybe we could uh, help with mentoring, portfolio reviews. Maybe we could get you into the studio for four weeks or short-term periods so that you at least start to get something for your portfolio. Uh, could we introduce you to one of our mates in another design company? Because if you've, we've not got a place, maybe these guys we hear that these guys might have. All of that whole thing to try and if somebody's working in a um, stacking a shelf, stacking shelves in Sainsbury's, but still have the passion that everybody has in the design world about what they actually do. I think a lot of people don't realize that it's actually in their blood. Right. I really, I really believe that. Um, and we want to keep them in some way, and hopefully things will get better. Uh, that also, but this is my Bob Geldof moment. Um, <laughs> That if, if people want to uh, find out about it, uh, Design Community Hub, uh, sort of website. Uh, there's also a place there to contribute, uh, to put, put something in. Uh, we're hoping, we worked out that everybody who's a member of the DBA gave £100, we'd have 40k, that gives us a project manager, people uh, to actually look after this thing. And I'd like to see it become, keep on going into something like NABs, which is the advertising industry's version of this, uh, to, to really help uh, people and actually bring pe people together. Um, and if anybody wants, the help is just as important as the money. Absolutely, almost a bit more, but at the moment I'm, I have to be the Bob Geld off of this just to say that. But um, uh, it's, it's very exciting. Everybody's put their hands up that we've contacted and said, yeah, we want to be part of this. And it's, it's had lots of PR um, as well, you know, been on Sky, Sky News, uh, Jazz FM Radio, uh, Design Week, da -da 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 -da. <coughs> and we're just keeping on going. Great. And it's the, the website is thedesigncommunityhub.com. That's right. Yeah. So if you listen to this, you're in the creative industries, you know, either side, if you're looking to break in or already in the industries and you want to help out, go to the, the designcommunityhub.com. There we go. In my best <laughs> voiceover voice I tried there. Um, Callum, just coming to land now, just kind of a couple of questions we always ask our guests and partly because things haven't been that wonderful in the last year. But um, and partly because it's just nice to find out what you what you know what's been inspiring you. But what was the last thing that you saw that you thought that's wonderful? Um, well, there's this amazing guy called Ron Finley in uh, South Central LA, who's a gardener, and he's called the Gorilla Gardener. Right. And he describes what he does as gra graffiti by gardening. And he had a strip outside of his house, which was 150 feet long by, uh, I think it's 10 foot wide. Um, yeah, 150 by, by 10 foot. And 
it was his responsibility to look after that. So he said, what the hell, I'll do it my way. Because he is surrounded in south uh, central LA by um, fast food restaurants, people with serious dietary problems, health issues, because their diet is so crap. I mean, it is terrible. And just up the road five miles away, there's Beverly Hills where everybody's surviving beautifully. So he planted uh, this whole strip with vegetables and flowers, got the kids around in the neighborhood to help him out and gathered a whole load of other people uh, to actually do this elsewhere. And he's built up this whole movement. Uh, and one of his things was if kids grow kale, they'll eat kale. Um, and it's, it's a TED talk. It's worth, it's worth looking up. Look up the, uh, the Gorilla Gardener. And it's one of the most inspiring, I love TED talks anyway, what's not to love. Uh, uh, it's one of the most inspiring ones I've seen for a long time. He's a great, great guy. Brilliant. The Gorilla Gardener, love it, brilliant. And final question, Callum, just uh, as an agency, we're all about sort of taking complex problems and making them wonderfully simple. What's one of life's complexities you'd like to see made simpler? <laughs> well, I've got two answers to that, if I'm allowed. Yep. When is the clocks went forward yesterday, how the bloody hell do you simply change the timer on your oven? <laughs> oh, be a simple way of doing it, for God's sake. Don't press that button. And... <laughs> it's driving me mad every every time. And then six months later, you've got to put it back again and you've forgotten what you've done. So you've got so you're Googling it. You know. <laughs> we've got two ovens. We've got one there, one there. So like trying to uh, synchronize them so that at the same time, at the same time. Anyway, there you go. <laughs> Love that. Uh, the other one was traveling. I do a lot of international travel. I've actually traveled a lot. Um, a couple of times, Austria and Dubai during lockdown and had to end up quarantined for 10 days and all of that. Right. But the whole issue of traveling is so complicated and all the process, you know, one of the worst ones was from London to Shanghai via Hong Kong with a three-hour stop and all that. Um, yes, you can do lots of Zoom calls, but you're never going to get business in China if you don't actually go face-to-face -face with somebody. I'd love a simpler way. So somebody invent a time machine, for God's sake. <laughs> if Elon Musk is listening, I'm sure he's uh, yeah, I'll bet he, he's working on something. Yeah, no, that's a good <laughs> answer. I think after COVID, travels can get even more complex, isn't it? Yeah, no, for the, for the next few that. years, I think it's going to be complex. But yeah, good answer. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much, Callum, for your time today. My pleasure. Callum, Good lovely luck. to spend this time with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to the Wonderful People podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Wonderful Creative Agency. Find out more at thewonderful.co.uk.